I want to add my, uh, it's not congratulations, but uh, <laughs> I want to add my well wishes to you mothers out there. Uh, thank you for all that you do, all that you are to our families. Um, certainly thankful for my wife and the way she has parented and given of herself through the years. And so I know it's uh, raising children is a, probably the toughest job you're ever going to do in life. Uh, but the most rewarding as well. So God bless you mothers today. How many of you like to complain? Yeah, it's my besetting sin. Is I am uh, prone to grumbling. And I hate myself for it. I hate that about myself. But there are some things that are legitimate gripes. Uh, and I'm sure you'll concur with me. How many of you are happy about the house prices in this area? <laughs> it is ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, certainly, Boise is the most overpriced housing market in the United States right now. And uh, in other words, you're paying a lot more for a house that is not worth nearly that much. Well, there are other things in life that are necessary, like a roof over your head. <laughs> I, I recently had to buy some new glasses, and I was surprised to notice how different my prescription was. And I'm still trying to get used to them. Uh, but uh, as you age and your eyes deteriorate, your vision gets worse, and you need glasses to correct your vision. Am I right? So it's okay to complain about your eyesight and complain about wearing glasses, right? Now, the, the good thing about glasses is how they can cause you to see things differently. And as I thought about that this week, I was thinking how God's Word does the same thing. It causes us to see things differently, to change our perspective, to adjust our perspective to the world around us. Now, there are many churches, mega churches, that take up uh, stadiums nowadays that will tell you that as believers, you're supposed to be wealthy. Am I right? You're supposed to be healthy all the time. You're never supposed to be sick. And if you're doing things right, your bank account should be growing. Right? It is the what we call the health and wealth gospel. And uh, it's out there, and it tickles people's ears, and it does untold damage to the church. Uh, what it creates is uh, what we would call a spiritual abortion. It is somebody who is born perhaps into the kingdom, but never grows beyond uh, what they should have at infancy. They never grow in their understanding of the Word of God. They never, they never grow in their depth of their faith. They never grow in their service to others. They just become what we call spiritual fat cells. They serve no useful purpose in the body. They just occupy space. Well, God help us if that becomes us. I'd invite you to turn to the book of James this morning. And we are going to look at chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And this is a Mother's Day message. I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is not a Mother's Day message. <laughs> I just couldn't bring myself to do it. 
if you want to apply it to being a mother, I suppose you could, but uh, probably not. So let's uh, take a look at verse 9. It says, But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. Because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. Let me pray, and then I'd like to help you to understand what this passage is trying to communicate. Father, we live in a world that has often got its priorities mixed up, screwed up. Everything is, everything is just wrong. What this world calls good is evil, and what is evil it calls good, and, and they're just wrong perspectives. And, and Father, we as the church can drink deeply from the poison well of this culture. I pray that James' words here this morning would open our eyes to the real reality, to the truth about what is around us and how we are to live life to be pleasing to You. Father, may Your Spirit give us understanding and and may we truly understand and know how to manage our wealth in a way that looks forward in faith to the coming kingdom. Father, we want to be good stewards of all that's been entrusted to our care, and we ask for your enablement in that this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, looking at that passage, uh, what we want to do is see two ways that in the future, this is really kind of, eschatological or looking toward the end times and it's bent uh, this passage and we want to see two ways that fortunes are going to be reversed when Christ's kingdom comes and uh, we want to do that so that we'll adjust our perspective in the here and now thinking about then should cause us to be different now That's the point James is making. Uh, And in the context, we have talked at length about trials, right? James says he opens this letter with, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And so this passage is not ripped from the context. It's in a context. It is talking about how to manage or, or a person's station in life in the midst of trials and how they handle those trials based on, if you will, their income bracket. (laughs) Remember, uh, the trials are the great equalizer in life. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. When a trial comes your way, you're just like everybody else. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much property you have. When you have a health crisis, uh, guess what? 
You're just like everybody else. And your money matters not. And sooner or later, whether you are poor or whether you are wealthy, sooner or later you're going to face trials in life. Amen? And in this situation, as the church began to suffer various trials, uh, they needed wisdom to know how to deal with them regardless of their station in life. What do you tell a poor person who is suffering uh, unduly, unjustly? How do you encourage them to, to continue to have faith and hope? What do you say to them? And what do you say to the wealthy who, who God has allowed to accumulate mass wealth in this life? What should they be thinking about? How should they be approaching life and life's trials? Well, those are the questions we want to answer this morning. Remember, the church was made up of Jews and Gentiles, right? Men and women, slaves and free. And we could add to that list rich and poor. They'd be sitting together. Well, maybe not. They'd probably be sitting in the same church. But uh, James will talk about this later in chapter 4, how how you might escort the rich guy with a nice gold ring on his finger and nice robes down to the front row, the best seat in the house. But you'll barely let a poor person in the back door. I mean, it's really something to think about. What if a homeless person came to Christ and wanted to worship with us and they smelled and their clothes were filthy from sleeping in the street and they walked in that back door. What would you do? Would you tell them to leave? We don't want any trouble? Or would you escort them to the best seat in the house? It's a, it's a question for our hearts this morning. We're going to see two ways that in Christ's kingdom, fortunes are going to be reversed. You may have it good now, but in the kingdom, the playing field is going to be leveled. You may be poor now, but later on, you'll be blessed. So the first way we want to see in verse 9 that fortunes are going to be reversed is that the low will be made high. The low will be made high. You see that the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. This is, uh, like I said, a continuation of the discussion of trials and how, how the church is supposed to consider it all joy. Okay, so you're poor. How do you consider it all joy? By considering your high position. Well, that sounds a little ironic, doesn't it? That's kind of a weird uh, way to encourage somebody. But in God's economy, it's always the opposite of what we might think it should be. In God's kingdom, if you want to be great, you need to be what? Low. You want to be high, you need to be low. It's ironic. The way up is the way down. That's how God's economy works. That's how Christ 
did it. Remember? He had everything. He was in an extremely lofty position in glory. And what did he do? He humbled himself. Even to the point of death as a criminal on a cross. For the sake of others. So the brother of lowly circumstances is to glory. Literally, the text says he's to glory or, or to boast in his high position. And that's moved forward in the sentence for emphasis. The way it reads is, is let him boast the brother, the humble one, in his height. It's not boasting in the negative sense. He's actually supposed to find great hope in his station in life. Because in God's economy, those who struggle in this life are promised what? They're promised to be exalted in the next if they live by faith in Christ. The word humble, tapainas, it means low. It means humble. And it's not a reference to how tall he is, nor is it a reference to his attitude. It's talking about his situation in life his circumstances. He's one of humble means. He's poor. But his height is in the spiritual realm. So his, his poverty is related more to his external circumstances. The word brother is just a common word, Adelphos, but you need to know that because this is a believer. He's a believer and he's a member of the church community. And and James encourages this lowly brother to boast in the height of his position, to think about the real reality. And the real reality is that he's in much better shape than he thinks he is. He might not have a 401k, but he's going to be lofty when Christ returns. He's going to be exalted to a high place. So this passage is really not talking about money at all, is it? It's talking about your perspective about wealth and how it fits into God's economy in his kingdom. It's talking about how believers are to face trials in life based on the station that they find themselves in. Now, Jesus' mother understood this principle. Uh, Look over at uh, Luke chapter 1, if you will. Just flip over to the left and look at Luke chapter 1. This uh, passage is called the Magnificat. And it's uh, Mary's prayer. After she was told she was going to bear the Messiah, not just bear a son, but bear the Christ, This is her response. Verse 46 of chapter 1. Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me Blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, 
and his name is and holy is his name and his mercy is upon generation after generation to those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty handed. You see that? Mary understood that with her son, who was the Christ, when the kingdom came, that the rulers of the earth would be toppled. Those who were wealthy, who had it all, they would be toppled. And that the low, including herself, would be exalted to a lofty place. That God was going to flip everything on its head. And that's what she looked forward to. Look at verse 52 again. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. She's talking about herself even in that verse. Because up above, verse 48, he had regard for the humble state of his bond slave, me. He considered my lowly estate, and yet he blessed me. Now, in ancient times, there, there was no social security program. If you lived in poverty, you typically died in poverty. Society provided no means for self-improvement. There were no community colleges. There were no trade schools. If you were poor, if you were enslaved, that's how you died. Working your life off for somebody else. So the church in its infancy state would have had to deal with the separation of classes. I mean, think about it. They, they might have wealthy landowners worshiping right alongside slaves. You had racial tensions, cultural tensions, gender barriers to overcome. But you also had this class system. You had those who came out of pagan idolatry. Can you even imagine what that must have been like? In a room this size to have that kind of mix of people, as well as languages and everything else, what must their potlucks have been like, you wonder? In Acts uh, chapter 4, we're told that Barnabas, who was a wealthy landowner, what did he do? He sold off his tract of land and he brought it and he laid it at the apostles' feet. So they called him what? The son of encouragement. Be not discouraged. Let me just say this. If this life has been hard for you, if you are one of what they call the working poor, living under constant financial pressure, you've undergone trial after trial after trial in this life, there is hope. There's hope for you today. This world is passing away. This world is transitory. Our hope is in the Messiah. It's in Christ. It's in His coming kingdom and the life to come. It's not in this life. It's not in the here and now. It's in the there and then. John Wesley, famous 
Christian writer said this, I value all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. Let me read that again. I value all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. If you are in a low place, you should be boasting in your coming exaltation in Christ. Because everything in this life that's low now, guess what? It's going to be lifted up when Christ comes. Great hope in the gospel. In the future kingdom of Christ, if the Lord has blessed you on the other end of the spectrum with financial means, don't look down on those who are struggling. You could just as easily be in their position. Instead, we should show compassion like Christ. We should, we should care for those who are struggling. Brothers and sisters who are part of the same body of Christ. They may be really struggling. I pray you would help them to glory in their exalted position in the kingdom. Think about it now, what they're going to be like later. As fellow heirs of eternal life. Right? Jesus himself said, when the kingdom comes, he said the first will be last, and the last will be first. And what did he mean by that? He meant that everybody is going to get the same thing. They're all going to inherit eternal life. So it doesn't matter what your wealth is like in this life. When Christ returns, the playing field will be leveled. So that's the first way that fortunes will be reversed. The low will be made high. And those struggling in this life should glory in their height. And the second way that fortunes will be reversed, you see that in verse 10, the high will be made low. So you have low to high and high to low. It says, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. You have to add the verb there. It's borrowed from the first, uh, from verse 9. The rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass, he will pass away. So those who sort of have it easy in this life, you could say, are actually supposed to lower themselves of their own accord. They're supposed to glory in their own humiliation, their own uh, self-abasement. They should think about what's coming in the kingdom and lower themselves to the waterline, if you will. And not just as a work, but because of their faith that, that Christ is coming and the kingdom is coming and they're thinking now what it's going to be like then. And so they're to lower themselves, self-abasement. Again, everything in the kingdom is opposite of what we would think it should be not a health and wealth gospel. We're not supposed to grow our bank accounts. The church isn't supposed to become rich. In fact, it's the opposite. Good stewardship is, is knowing how to distribute your wealth the right way. 
not the accumulation of wealth. So if you're wealthy, you should boast or, or literally glory, and again, not in a negative way, but you should glory in the humiliation of yourself. Being brought down a few pegs. Uh, the humiliation is derived from the same word as in verse 9, the tapenas. It's actually a play on words. There's, there's the person of humble means who is supposed to boast in his exaltation, his, his height. And then there's the, the person who's wealthy who's supposed to boast in his humiliation. The reason why the rich brother is supposed to glory in his humiliation, it's, it's supplied for us right here in the verse. You see that? It, it literally says, because like a flower of grass, he will pass away. Yeah, let me take glory in that. <laughs> it's, it's kind of uh, kind of strange when you think about it at first blush. But the reality is what? Death comes to all. Uh, regardless of your station in life, death comes to everybody. So James' instruction to the wealthy is to see with eyes of faith. Because, uh, let me tell you this, the total sum of your money will not buy another minute of life. In fact, Money can do just the opposite. It can entangle you in the cares of this world and choke out your faith. And the great irony about wealth is the more you accumulate, the less secure you feel. Have you ever wondered what actually gives money and possessions and land its value? Have you thought about that? Let's take diamonds, for instance. It's Mother's Day. Look down at your hand and look at that diamond on your hand. What gives it value? It's a rock. It's a clear rock. And some people say, based on the clarity of the rock, that it should be more valuable than rocks that are a little more cloudy. But at the end of the day, what is it? It's a rock. It's like Charlie Brown, right, at, uh, at Halloween. What did you get? Oh, I got a candy bar. What did you get? I got a rock. It's a rock. If you have a paper bill, pull it out and look at it. What is it? It's a piece of paper. In the old days... Paper money used to be certificates. It used to say on it that, that this is equivalent to the value of the precious metal that we have locked away in a safe somewhere and that, that it was, a, it was a, like a, a gold certificate or a silver certificate. I don't remember what it was called, but it actually had gold backing it up. Money doesn't have gold backing it up anymore. It's a piece of paper with an amount stamped on it. 
So what gives it value? It's a piece of paper. It only has value because it's been assigned a value by society, but it's paper. It has no eternal significance whatsoever. As I said before, retirement plans, 401ks, they could be lost overnight if the market were to collapse. If the housing bubble burst, that uh, million-dollar home, half a million-dollar home that you're sitting in, worthless. We saw that back in 2008, 2009, remember? Our house prices got cut in half. Instead, you ought to invest in what I call a 401H. Invest your treasures in heaven. Because that's where the real reward is. Not in this world. This stuff is transitory. It's passing away. Store it there where rust or moths can't get in and destroy it. Eternal value. Eternal significance. Eternal weight. You know, there was a young man that came to talk to Jesus in Matthew 19, starting in verse 16. And he was really... He thought he had his ducks in a row, right? I got it all together. The rich young ruler, Matthew 19:16, says someone came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good things shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life... Keep the commandments. And then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this is the most arrogant response I have ever heard in my life. (laughs) And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? And Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. So when the young man heard this statement, what happened? His face fell. He was crestfallen. It said he heard this statement and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Now compare that to Barnabas in Acts, right? Or compare it to Ananias and Sapphira who who sold some land but kept some of the money back for themselves and said they gave more than they did. What happened to them? Not a great ending for them. Bruce talked about greed this morning in equipping hour. What is your idol of choice? Is it greed? See, Jesus, I told you, Jesus said the first, last, the last, first, and that comes right after this story. Right? 
And, and, and he says in verse 23 to 26, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom. Now, how many camels have you seen go through the eye of a needle other than in cartoons? It doesn't happen, does it? But verse 27, Peter said to him, Behold, we've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? We've given up everything. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall shit, excuse me, you also shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my namesake will receive many times as much and will inherit what? Eternal life. And then he says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Everybody gets the same thing. But what a glorious, great thing it is, right? Everybody gets the same thing, eternal life. Who's going to complain about that? I'm not. Back to that story about Barnabas. It goes on to say there that these people are selling off all their earthly possessions. They're laying it at the apostles' feet. Obviously, it's talking about socialism, right? That the church should be a socialist community, right? No. Yes, they had all things in common. But the point of that passage is this. Why were they giving away everything? It's because they thought Christ was going to come at any moment and the kingdom would be established. And so the earthly possessions meant nothing to them because they were going to be rewarded even greater in the kingdom for their faithfulness. Here's the key. Faith. Faith. Looking forward to the kingdom with eyes of faith. In hope. Hope that God will adjust things at that time. That God will make things right. That God will execute justice. That those who are low and suffering and in poverty in this life will be made high. And those who are high and lofty now will be brought low. And that's the kingdom, beloved. See, we need to see with eyes of faith. Get new glasses if you need to. Adjust your focus now. Go see my daughter. She works in an optometric office. <laughs> Change your priorities now so that they're in line with Christ's priorities. See, we, we sang about it this morning. Christ went to the poor and needy, right? He, he gave himself to those who were in poverty and the wealthy of the time would have just been aghast. Huh, what's he doing hanging around with poor people and sinners and tax gatherers? And Jesus 
That's who He came for. I used to say all the time, I don't need to place my faith in Christ. I don't need to be a a Christian. I mean, Christians are losers, right? That's how I used to think. Jesus is for losers. Well, I was right. (laughs) I just had a wrong estimation of myself. I was a loser. Right? I needed Christ. Way more than I thought I did. Yeah, we need to we need to put on our kingdom glasses. We need to we need to see the world differently. We need to we need to see the real reality. That is that the humble in this life They're going to have it good in the next. And that if you're wealthy now, you ought to have a right perspective about that wealth and realize that it could all be gone in an instant. There's no lasting value in that. It's not eternal. It's almost like a facade that's going to be ripped away when Christ returns. And He would have us to do that adjustment now. Start living kingdom lives now. There's a lesson to learn in all this in verse 11. Yes, the low will be made high and the high will be made low, but here's the lesson. Flowers fade, flesh fails, and faith looks forward. Verse 11. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. The word for, uh, this is what we call in Greek a, a gar clause, and it's telling us basically the reason why trials actually work for the benefit of the wealthy believer. It's a proverbial statement. It's what we, uh, what we call, uh, for you language geeks, uh, it's the gnomic use of the aorist tense. Yes, that's one of the worthless things I learned in seminary. But basically what it means is, is it's, uh, it's past tense. It's a proverb. And the way it should actually read is, or the way it literally reads is, for the sun rose... The past tense, the sun rose with the burning heat and the grass withered and its flower fell off and the beauty of its appearance was destroyed. It's a proverb. And in order to kind of gain an understanding of what this proverb means, we have to go back to where it originated back in Isaiah chapter 40. So I'm going to turn you back there. Isaiah chapter 40 we know splits the book of Isaiah in half and the prophet is looking forward to the nation of Israel and he's even though they're going to go into captivity 
the prophet is encouraging them and bringing the nation comfort and telling them, listen, yes, it's going to be hard now, but when the kingdom is here, it won't be. And so he's, he's bringing them comfort by causing them to look forward. And in particular, look forward to the time when the Messiah was going to arrive on the scene, the anointed one from God. He would come and he would establish his kingdom and he would level the playing field. And he would deliver his people. He would, he would set right the injustices of the world and he would deliver his people. Look at verses 4 through 8. This is going to sound very familiar. Let every valley be lifted up. And every mountain and hill be made low and let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice calls out. Then he answered, what shall I call out? And here it is. All flesh is grass and all of its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. God is going to bring his kingdom And he will deliver his people when the Messiah comes. But notice verse 4. Every valley would be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. That's exactly what Mary said. And that's exactly what James is saying. Everything low will be made high and everything high will be made low. The playing field will be level. Even John the Baptist said the same thing the forerunner of the Christ. And he was referring to this because he knew Jesus was the Messiah and he said the same thing. The other place it shows up, you should look there, is over in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, Peter says, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. And here's another explanation as to why. For you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like the flower of grass, The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Flesh is like grass. It's going to dry up and wither in the heat. It's going to fade away. It's transitory. It's transitory. Flesh fails. Flesh fails. But the word of God endures forever forever and believers recognize that they have been redeemed by Christ it says it right here in this text you've been 
bought with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You've been redeemed by Christ. And because of that new birth and because of your faith in the Messianic King, you need to change your priorities now. Notice that this passage about the grass being like flesh is directly tied to what command? In verse 22. Fervently love the brethren. That's the application. That's the command. All flesh is like grass. It's fading away. And when the kingdom comes, it's all going to be set aright. But what are you supposed to do now? Love the brethren fervently, regardless of class or station in life. Love them. We're supposed to care for one another, not money. James says the sun rose with a scorching wind. Uh, again, this is taken from Isaiah, but it's, it's likely referring to what in the Middle East would be called a Scirocco. There used to be a Volkswagen with that name, a Volkswagen Scirocco. I used to want one really bad. In fact, my fourth grade teacher in elementary school was Mr. Scirocco. I used to think that was a really cool name. But a Sirocco is a, is a hot eastern wind that comes up over the land, and it, it literally just scorches everything. It's hot. It is a hot, burning wind. And this in combination with the sun overhead, I mean, we're talking about the Middle East. You get burnt to a crisp. So think about how Literally, the, the, the flowers that grow among the grass is what's being talked about here. Wildflowers that grows among the grass. Flowers it don't grow on grass. So what's being talked about here is flowers that grow among the grass. And what happens when the heat hits them? They look like those ones at Home Depot that nobody wants to buy over in the corner, right? They're all withered. They're dead. They're dried out. The leaves fall off. And the... What's it called? The anther? There's the stamen and the anther. The anther falls off. Yes, I took biology. It withers. It dies from the heat and it falls off. And think about Jonah, the book of Jonah, uh, chapter 4. Remember? That plant that grew up overnight. Gave him some shade, a little relief from the heat, and then what happened? It says a hot wind came up, an east wind, and the sun came out, and it withered the flower, and it died, and Jonah's there in the heat, right? And he's saying, Lord, take my life. I'd rather die than be in this heat. Kind of like Rancho Cucamonga, California. And here James says that these two things combined, this is a metaphor. It's a metaphor. And what's the metaphor? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter what? It's a metaphor for the trials of life. 
when the sun comes up, when the heat scorches the flower, it's the trials in life. Guess who's the flower? (laughs) It's you. The effect is evident. The heads of the flowers dry up. They wither from the heat. It perishes. The beauty of its appearance is destroyed. It withers and dies. And it becomes scrub brush. And here's the punchline to the metaphor. So too, or likewise, so too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. That's the punchline. In the same way that flower withers and dries up from the trials of life, guess what? A rich man, because of his weak faith, because he's pursuing wealth in this world, when the trials of life come, what's going to happen to him? He's going to wither. He's just going to wither in the heat. He needs to adjust his perspective. He needs to think differently. He needs to understand that the things of this world are passing away. And notice, it doesn't say that his pursuits will pass away. What's going to pass away? What's going to be destroyed? He himself, the rich man, right? The rich man. This is a, this is a warning. This is a warning. You keep at it. You pursue wealth. You push, push, push. And in the end, like a flower, all your wealth is just going to burn up like wood, hay, stubble. It's just kindling for the fire. And when the fire comes, you won't be able to stand in the midst of it. You will wither and perish just like that little flower. And I think underlying all of this, the point is this. Life and health and wealth are transitory. Any one of them could be gone in a moment's notice. But like a hamster on a wheel, here's the, here's the rich man, right? Pursuing his wealth, going about his pursuits. And, and before he realizes it, what? His life is over. And he's not lived skillfully with the use of his possessions, and then it's too late. And he dies, and he's accomplished nothing for the kingdom or for Christ. This is a warning. This is a big warning. I mean, in other words, sober up. You need to sober up. Wake up. Put on glasses if you need to, but wake up. I work as a hospice chaplain. I see people at the end of their lives. I know what the elderly go through at the end of life. They, they have to sell off their homes, their cars, as they, as they lose their mobility, as they become more dependent for cares. They end up in one little room in some little house with a, maybe a dresser and a nightstand and some cards and pictures of family, and that's it. And this is what it boils down to. This is life. Life is transitory. 
When you die, they will sell off all of your possessions for pennies on the dollar at a yard sale. And some of it that you valued most will be thrown away as junk. Worthless. We don't live for the here and now. We live for the there and then. That's what James is telling us here. Faith looks forward. Faith looks forward. We don't set our anchors in this life. Faith looks forward. Think about Hebrews 11, right? Bruce talked about that this morning. Faith is is in things that cannot be seen, right? We're looking for that kingdom that's coming. Think about that great hall of faith and all the trials that those people endured, right? They were kicked out of their homes. They were sawn in half. They were... They were put in prison. These people suffered horribly. The trials of life came upon them, but what was their hope? What did they live for? It was, it was faith in what was coming. They could endure anything this life had to offer because their faith was there, not here. It was in Christ, not the things of this world. that great hall of faith, it gives us example after example of those who suffered various trials and considered it all joy. They never stopped looking for the kingdom and God's righteousness. The flowers fade. Flesh fails. Faith looks forward. Fortunes can be easily reversed. As I said, you can have it all taken away in a heartbeat. So this morning my question to you is, how is your eyesight? Are you seeing things with an eternal perspective? Are you clinging to Christ and His kingdom, or are you clinging to this world? your beliefs about the kingdom and the future, they affect your perspective now and how you manage your wealth or lack thereof. (laughs) And like those believers in the great hall of faith, your priorities should be the kingdom and God's righteousness. They should not change with the trials. They should be fixed and they should be anchored, and they should hope in the return of Christ and His kingdom to come. Amen?